Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's really cool kind of seeing the other end of this. You know, I, I've watched a couple of episodes, watched like some of my friends on here. It's nice kind of seeing like the setup, the cameras. You know. <laughs> it's really like I tell people when they come in here for the first time, I'm like, it's essentially held together with like duct tape and chewing gum. Like that's that's what we've done here. I mean, it's in it's it's kind of what we've had to do for for pandemic times is like kind of turn this space into a little a little television station. Um, and we just use kind of what we've got to weave it all together. Gotcha. I mean, it looks it looks really good. Like especially <laughs> like on the screen, like it looks really good. Well, and that's that's another fun part about it for for me, right? Is like the the immersive experience for the guest, mm-hmm. right? You know, if we do musicians up here, it's real easy for them to monitor themselves and whatever else. But like seeing themselves on screen or podcast guests seeing themselves on screen, being able to be like, this is what it's going to look like. Right. immediately when it comes out like you don't have there's no anxiety of like oh what do i look like how do i feel like what's going on it's like no it's just you know no oh, that's the conversation i had and that's what i look like on the screen cool yeah, let's it's, do it's this. like right there like, <laughs> i can like make sure like my hair like looks like okay like. and it actually works like you're you're lit well enough right now that like you could actually check your hair out and do what you need to do i'm poorly lit i think because i'm wearing the great this gray shirt and whatever else but oh well we'll we'll work with it i so so you reached out or i reached out how like one way or the other through the page yes um we we interacted and it was like hey um you know like the show would like to come on would like to check it out da, 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 da. and i was like yeah coming on like let's do this like because a it's always hard to book people and b like you never know like what somebody's interesting story is mm-hmm. until you like open up to being willing to like just engage them. Right. And, and just in the short time that we've been talking, it's like, you're not just a kid who came here for school. It's like, you're a Southern Illinois kid. Yeah. Uh, young man. <laughs> I'm still a kid. We're all kids until we decide we're too old. I don't know how this works anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, and so as we were talking, leaning into this, I was just really, really interested in, in some reflection on, um, you know, the relationship with Carbondale as somebody who grew up in, uh, you know, a nearby town mm-hmm. for you specifically Harrisburg. Like I'm do kind of doing your own intro for you. I'm sorry. No, I don't usually not- <laughs> hijack an interview like this, but here we go. Um, you know, talking about coming here and, 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 you know, spending time at lost cross, uh, when you were a little bit younger than you are now and and talking about uh, you know getting into uh, you know the philosophy world of SIU yes. even though you didn't have Randy as a professor like you spent time like with Randy just a, around <laughs> like going over to the what is it what do they call his house what is the uh, it's like the uh, American Philosophical Society, I think, or the American Society Society for American Philosophy, I think is what it is. But it's <laughs> I, got American and philosophy in it. <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Those two things yes. combined. I I hope that one day, hundreds of years from now, that somebody looks back on the American Philosophical Institute of Randall Auger's <laughs> house, and it's like a thing. I just, I love it. I love it so much. And so it's, it, it's just for me getting into this, I'm, I'm excited to explore just 
everything that you've got going on, part of the yeah. reasons why you want to be on on the podcast and talk about what your work is, but also uh, just the back end of of what a what a kind of migration, what kind of a magnetism towards Carbondale is for uh, you know a a uh, just a, a Southern Illinois. A Southern Illinois kid, and that's episode 54. Usually somebody gets to do kind of their own lead into their intro, but here that's I am hijacking this whole show. It is <laughs> what it is. Uh, David Higgs III um, is my guest for this episode, uh, WTF Carbondale Podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all together with this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And thanks, man, for uh, now calling Carbondale home. I appreciate you for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew I was going to, like, live here around the time I was about, like, 17 because mm-hmm. I was like, I came over enough. I really liked the place, and I was like, eh, I'm probably going to go to school here, and I'm probably going to wind up staying here for a while. <laughs> like, you know, it, it just kind of has that, like, I like the word magnetism, right? It's a, it's a good term for it, especially for people around here. Like, um, you know, growing up, Carbondale is kind of the one place where there's stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of just naturally drawn over here. Like, you know, if you like music, if you like coffee shops, if you like anything other than cornfields, like, you, you want to come here. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, you know, fair enough. I grew up in the midst of a cornfield, but that cornfield was only three minutes from town, so... Same, like, so I, I grew up, like, in town in, in Harrisburg, but, you know, there's there's not too much of a town, like, physically, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, you go a couple minutes in either direction, and, you know, there's a field. Like, I remember when I was uh, showing my now wife around Harrisburg for, like, the first time, and I'm like, okay, over here, we got a field. Over here, we got a mine. <laughs> there's the Walmart. Like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of it. That's kind of the whole whole town right there. One day this can all be ours, my dear. No. I am literally. <laughs> Except maybe the Walmart. <laughs> the, the Walmart stays with them. <laughs> they they keep the Walmart. <laughs> Forbidden Walmart. The, I love that man. It was always it was always exotic. The the drive from Carbondale to Harrisburg. Which I didn't make often, but you would mm. you would drive through Marion and everything would be normal, and then you would hit Harris like the 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 road to Harris would be like it's sixty five now, right. and then like you're like I'm doing sixty five on a on a highway in the in the middle of not the interstate. This is very interesting. Right, right, sixty five, <laughs> sixty five. This dude says. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you grew up coming from the other end of it, so it's like you guys, everything was a racetrack from the get-go. You dumped out of yes. town, and you were on your way. <laughs> yes. I remember uh, my driver's ed teacher in high school booking it and making it to Marion in like under 10 minutes. Like, definitely going more than 60. He's not still the driver's ed teacher, is he? Because you might have just lost him a job. Uh, I Actually, no, I don't think he is. All right, cool. So we're safe. Yeah, we're, we're all good. We're in the clear. <laughs> the... Um, so I mean, so what? What do you have like an earliest memory of like coming to Carbondale? Like, was it really like a like be, when you were a teenager? That's when things kind of started to click and you started to come over. Or did you have like a you know? Oh, I was eight years old and we came to see a movie and we went to go do this or I came to the fireworks type thing. Uh, actually, I do. I was fourteen and I sang in the choir over at Harrisburg. Yeah, and we uh, did like a choral competition or thing like over here on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my first exposure to the campus, really was uh, coming over and kind of, uh, you know, wandering around and, you know, kind of meandering about. But, uh, yeah, that was that was my first memory of the of the town, of the city, uh, was coming over. And we would we would come over before that, 
but you know we wouldn't really go around town mm-hmm. but that was like the first time i got to walk around the strip walk around the campus really take it all in yeah was when i was uh, 14 over here for the choir competition it's amazing how things change in a 10-year period yes it, it was a different place <laughs> you know i mean and don't get me wrong i mean this is one of those places that always and forever in a in a state of in a state of change right so it's mm. it's to be expected but i mean it, it just feels like especially you know, in, in the last 10, uh, you know, to 15 years, the, the change just in the, in the, in the physical look of the town. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, my gosh, you go back and you look at, uh, do you, have you ever seen like old pictures that the library post out on Facebook yeah, or stuff? And it's yeah. like, and you're like, holy cow, like this neighborhood over, you know, behind Murdale used to just be like bare yards with freshly yeah. planted trees and no sidewalks. And it, it just looked plain and now it's like oh well that's what happens after 60 years or something that trees grow and things bloom and all of a sudden this is what development looks like and it's supposed to look like i I didn't mean to get off into ah, i don't need to get off into my own feelings on things but like it's just that's it's it's kind of it's kind of cool to see yeah it, it really is and um seeing other things like seeing like the solar panels built in the last couple years yeah. and things like that um yeah, yeah. Seeing seeing a lot of stuff kind of go up. I, I remember when Evolve was uh, was built for like the first time. Yeah. And, like it was just kind of like there, and yeah, just kind of getting to see the city change bit by bit, growing up around it, and then kind of you know becoming and settling down as an adult in it. Yeah, like it's it's a cool process. Yeah, well, I mean, and at this point, you get to kind of write your own story because it's like other people don't have the same exact memories with the places as it, as it is now. Mm. So it's like now we're in the process of building the memories with this place as it will be for a foreseeable future versus the people that are kind of coming out of it. Like it would, mm. it was just what it was for the past, you know, chunk of several decades. And it's like, okay, well we've got a little bit of nostalgia with a little bit of forward looking and let's see how this all balances out together. See, that's such a cool place for a community to be. Yeah. In my opinion. Right. Cause, cause it does, it, it kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I want to make like the lame philosophy reference. Get it, man, to Heidegger, dude. You, right? you, came, <laughs> you came on a you came on a podcast where you get to stump. So you go be your philosophical self as you <laughs> see fit, my friend. Do not do not dumb it down. WTF Carvindale's audience out there, they want what you've got. That's, they, that's the brain. They, they want, want the Heideggerian <laughs> like the one podcast where I could talk about Heidegger, but, but yeah, you know, it it is, it has this really interesting temporality where we're like, you have the past and it's, it's geared, it's projecting towards something else, Mm -hmm. right. Towards something that's not yet there, but that we're all kind of anticipating. And it really is a cool place for a community to be. I'll, I'll kind of like leave it at that, but yeah, yeah. I I'm, I'm with you. I agree with you there. Uh, And you, and you, you said it so like succinctly, like, I, and used a word that I hadn't heard before. So now I've now I've got myself like temporary. If I can pronounce it correct, pronounce it for me so I don't have to mess up. Oh yeah, uh, temporality. 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 I, I love that. Like that's that's like that's going that's going like in the folder right next to the word iconicity in my mind. Nice. Like because of how intertwined and important those things are mm. as like a a metric to to success in this place because of what you know this place is built of. Like there are places that are built of of activity and just existence and you know culture and this that the other thing. Not everywhere is built of memories. 
right? Mm. Like we, we live in that in a very memory place. So we'll, we'll, Man, I'm so glad that we had a really good conversation leading into this podcast too, right? Because we get to connect all these things along the way. But I'm going to jump right back to you talking about, um, you know, liking to see all of the all of the renewable energy activity pop up, yeah. and that's a part of the thing that's cool about what you're doing now is because you're working in this, you know, uh, renewable energy social justice space, um, which is also like two very keen things to be involved in. Yes, while in Carbondale while understanding memories of the past while applying it to, you know, the, 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 uh, vision of the future. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll just kind of go ahead and do the, do the obligatory yeah. name yeah, drop. It. Right. Like, uh, so I, I work for a place called elevate and they're a nonprofit that's formally based in Chicago, mm-hmm. but, uh, we've got like representatives, people doing this kind of work kind of throughout the state. Yeah. Um, and we've recently, by recently, I mean, kind of when they, when they hired me, we got somebody in like the very, like, bottom southern part of the state yeah um and yeah a lot, a lot of my work has centered around um trying to promote conversation around these new developments with solar mm-hmm. um and trying to promote some of the programs elevate has so uh, elevates the program administrator for uh, illinois solar for all mm-hmm. which tries to get uh solar projects going in mm-hmm. low-income neighborhoods specifically communities uh which is a lot of southern illinois mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah, so that, that's so kind you of the guys, are you the guys context. are like the main, like the the overarching organization that oversees the the entirety of the program. Yes, so uh, okay. the state of Illinois contracted out mm-hmm. Elevate to like do all the administrative mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. for it. So uh, if you're wanting to like get yourself designated as an environmental justice community, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can get like solar projects yeah. going, uh, you would apply through. Uh, Illinois Solar for All's website and Elevate would kind of have you have you had a lot of cross crossover work at all that I can't remember the guy's name Aces for Youth is his is his Gregory Norris thank you Gregory Norris I have I have met him at least once possibly twice before we talked a little bit but you know you talk a little bit uh, and then pandemics happen right like (laughs) but but I know he's he's back to getting action uh, you know in activity uh, you know some things going on here, so I wasn't sure kind of what you're, you know, again, being a representative connected to the larger organization, what your relationships were like with some of these organizations that are executing on the ground. Yeah, and that's, I'm actually really glad that you, uh, that you brought up Aces for Youth and these other organizations. So, like, um, a lot of what my work does is just kind of promoting and I mean, it's it's in the name Elevate, right? But yeah. elevating, right? You know, it's corny. But you know what these other <laughs> but we do corny on this show. We do corny yeah. on this show. I, I, I do corny all my life, man. Right. Like, but yeah, we we elevate what these kind of grassroots here and now local organizations are already doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we do work with Aces for Youth a little bit. Uh, I've I've reached out to him somewhat. Uh, both of us actually sit on the uh, Downstate Caucus, which is this. Uh, kind of like advocacy group uh-huh. that's uh, been pushing for this bill called CJA, the yep. Clean Energy Jobs Act. Yep. Uh, so we both sit on that. And that's been where a lot of our interaction has come from. But uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we try you, to promote you, discourse around. So what sorry, sorry to cut you off. Did you, did, were you, did you come to any of the um, uh, listen, lead, share, listen, learn, share conversations that occurred about a year and a half, two years ago, or was that a little bit before you were kind of engaged with elevate? 
I think yeah. I was there. I wasn't there with Elevate. Okay. Though. Uh, cool. Yeah, I, I started work with Elevate uh, about a year ago to the date. How uh, has that been like during the pandemic? That it's been really interesting. I learned how to work Zoom for like, <laughs> like the first like time. a pro. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I, I I never had to do like Zoom or any of that before. Um, so like there was a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, it's actually really cool working remote because uh, I, I feel like I'm able to do stuff like this. Like I can totally do a podcast and have it be like work ish yeah. related. Yeah, I mean like, this is this is absolutely yeah. work, dude. Because we're like. And again, I had limited context on, you know, what you had going on. Like I was just open, right. To, yeah. to talk. And this is what I love about the exploratory component of this podcast is that like people understand this is kind of a, like a word, you know, if you're, if you're going to reach out to somebody who, who, uh, you know, we don't have a relationship yet. Like, you know, it's because you really do have something that you're trying to pursue and like, yeah want to get out there. So like, I, I just, I'm really, I'm really enthralled by how much more to this conversation there is than I yes. could have possibly conceptualized there was going to be when we first walked through the door here 30 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so like, sorry. I mean, I just, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to revel in, in my general excitement about you as a, as, as a guest and all the different components that, that you've got going for you from, the the local component to the the work that you're doing now so i yeah. i appreciate it it's, <laughs> it's really cool to to just get and you know get to talk and you know, it's i guess this is kind of face to face you know this is like the first like face to face even though it's across the room right kind of thing that i've been able to do uh since <laughs> 30 like, feet in this day and age is still face to face right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the first face to face i've really been able to do since the pandemic started yeah. um so it's very refreshing for me good. as well very good very good. What are, are you, are you engaged with sunrise movement folks, uh, at all here in Carbondale too, or, uh, I share a lot of their stuff on Facebook. Very good. Um, yeah. Um, know a couple people like personally, um, yeah. yeah so some, I, some involvement with that. Uh, when I first started with elevate, I did a little bit of work with some Carbondale spring folks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, especially Bo, Oh, yeah. like, kind of working with like the solarized Southern Illinois stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did some stuff like kind of talking about what they were doing and trying to like get people educated on like community solar. Um, so yeah, yeah. So know a little bit about that. Kind of, <laughs> you're you're tied in, man. You're everywhere right. you need to be. Like it's the, the thing is everybody kind of has just their role to play yeah. in it. Right. And you like, until you're in there and you're just like working on stuff, you don't really know quite yet. Like, who all the players are and what your purpose is. And then like you get in, you start doing the work. You're like, ah, it's just everybody rowing the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you, that you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> sports, <laughs> sports analogies for, for philosophical conversations. No, I don't do sports analogy. I don't know that rowing is a good sports analogy. Like is, <laughs> I mean, I, I can talk Heidegger all day. Like, you know, I, I think of Heidegger's analogy with the hammer, right? So he talks about how, like, you know, you don't really become aware of the hammer until the hammer breaks. Uh-huh. But, you know, when you're using the hammer and when you're involved in work and you're absorbed in that, you know, all the kind of different components, like the individual components disappear and there's just the work mm-hmm. and there's just the moment of doing the work, right? And it does sometimes feel like something similar when you're doing like any kind of activist work, you know, mm-hmm. be it with the nonprofit in a more like kind of professional way or just on the ground organizing, right? You know, when, when you're at work, all the individual components kind of disappear mm-hmm. to a point 
and you're just there with the work. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. No, I mean, it, for, for me, it does. Cause it's like you, it's, do, do you guide the work or does the work guide you? And the answer is both. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which arguably, I mean, maybe is a, is a better, you know, analogy than the chicken and the egg sort of deal. Like what came first, the work or the worker? I don't chicken or the egg, the Heidegger or the hammer, the, yeah, yeah. I, I probably botched that all together, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, competently philosophical as, as many of my peers, including yourself. Now I like, I like being with somebody who is, who is uh, reasonably younger than me and just feeling like, yes, uh, I am, I am outmatched in, in, in my space right now. Age is nothing but a number. And, the, and, and you're, and you're, I feel your... like that all the time. Like, especially when I was at SIU, like in these like philosophy things, like at the like Agora's and stuff like that. Like there are so many people that just know like so much stuff, like yeah. really cool, cool people doing some cool work. What uh, drew you to like the economics and the philosophy together? I mean, is this something that, that like was just there from an early age or is this something that, um, you know, you just kind of stumbled into and it was like, Oh, this is a fit. Uh, yeah. So, uh, back in like 2012, 2013, right when the earthquake had happened in Haiti, mm-hmm. uh, I got really lucky and I was able to go and do some humanitarian work in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stayed there for like three, four weeks and, uh, kind of just saw like the conditions and everything. And I got really interested in poverty and inequality. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what kind of mechanisms drove that. Uh, so, you know, I started, started kind of reading then and I had a kind of a rough idea that I wanted to do economics and probably philosophy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then when I got to college, I uh, started out as an economics major. I took a class on philosophy of race and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and add this uh, philosophy major too. So I, <laughs> I added both of them and that's just kind of what I did. Yeah. Nice. And it, it fits in nicely. I, I think with kind of what I'm, what I'm doing and where I want to go. So yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in philosophy of race, yes, as a concept in Southern Illinois, right? Pepper Holder, oh. who is uh, an older black gentleman in town, who has seen his fair share of life here. I mean, Pepper's got to be in his mid seventies at this point, and he would. He would use the phrase, he, he, he talked about this on the podcast, but he talked about how he would use this as kind of his radio sign off. You know, I'm in, I'm in Southern Illinois, too, too South to be North, too North to be South, but more racist than Mississippi. <laughs> and I know, cause I've been there. Like that's his, that's his line. Right. And it's like, this is, this is a place where things collide. And by yes. virtue of their collision, the friction that exists because of that collision, right, of, of you know, what, what is essentially, uh, you know, how, how am I best phrasing this? Because segregation isn't the right phrase to describe kind of what, what clashes here. Mm. Um, but, you know, these, these, these different identities, one that, that embraces, um, uh, that embraces uh, race, as, as a, like a critical component mm. to existent one that rejects it. Right. And I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to think through this in, in the most intellectual way possible to, to, to like steer what I'm saying into the, into the right lane here. Um, and, and just for that to be applied here, like in Southern Illinois, it's like, it's, 
it's so crucial. It's so key, not because it's somewhere like in New York or in California or somewhere where it's studied for the sake of pontification. And I'm going to, mm. I'm just going to think on it. It's like, no, we're going to get into it because the best way to understand something from an intellectual perspective is to actually experience it, exist in it and live within it. And then try to, I guess, take the hammer to it and do some work. Yeah, I, I see what you, I see what you <laughs> did there. Yeah, good. there we go. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, what what angle would you want to kind of? I don't know, man. I just sometimes I just like throw out lofty stuff like that. The guest will catch it and then run with it. So I think I mean, you got it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like kind of framing race as like a critical component of stuff, and that's kind of like what philosophy of race really does. So like, um, my primer to that kind of subfield of philosophy was uh, Charles Mills and his book, The Racial Contract. Mm -hmm. And what he does is uh, Mills goes back and he looks at the history of Western philosophy and he frames race as kind of like the central subject of it. So kind of like how Marx took history and he placed the proletarian subjectivity or the worker subjectivity as this main subject of history, the mm -hmm. conscious one experiencing it. Mills does something similar with the uh, racialized subject. Right, So he places that at kind of the center of every major philosophical discourse. Mm -hmm. And then he takes it up to modern social contract theory. And he starts to look at the way in which, you know, modern liberal society is kind of structured around, you know, white supremacy and, and racial exploitation and stuff. And, you know, we could get into like the, you know, the pontification, the intellectual part of it. But, you know, putting it on the ground and kind of applying it to like, you know, some of the work, like some of the work I'm doing, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I like to look at the ways in which, uh, you know, environmental justice really intersects with racial justice um, and the ways in which, you know, like communities of color are disproportionately impacted by stuff like uh, pollution. And I don't know, that would, that'd be a good segue. I think it's segue, a buddy, segue, you gave <laughs> right. yourself the segue, uh -huh. go for it. <laughs> uh, you know, like the, uh, the coppers plant here in town that uh, I, I think the cleanup just now officially ended the second cleanup ended or I something. I think it's still all bullshit, but you know. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, right. And, and that there's a whole like set of discussions, like an environmental justice about, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, people like to divide environmental justice into, uh, outcome oriented mm -hmm. environmental justice and process oriented environmental justice. And basically the process oriented side of things that lens looks at how communities of color do not get the proper processes really executed when dealing mm -hmm. with things like say the coppers plant, for mm -hmm. example, it runs, it starts running in 1901 or 02 mm -hmm. runs as the coppers plant to like the nineties just kind of sits there poisoning everybody in predominantly black neighborhood for decades. The EPA comes in, tells the current owners to clean up. They do a half-assed job of it. Then they come back and they say, oh, you missed a spot. So they go and they do it again, supposedly, and now they're finished, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. I How mean, is it, that procedurally? Dri driving, driving by it and like looking at these plastic barriers that are yes. set up on the side of it. Like I, I've driven by it on a very like wet and rainy day and like just seen the water pouring out over like the muddy top or I mean, what I guess is not top soil because it's, you know, it's, it's the muddy excavation. Space. That's a good word. Excavation. Uh, you know, and, and, and to just see the continuation of like, okay, so we're just going to pretend like all of this water and all of this dirt and, and all of this moving of substances isn't still, 
just as problematic and we're just gonna say oh well we scraped enough of the top layer off of it that it's okay and we're gonna move on right and i, I guess they also tried to seed some stuff but it, it in my opinion looking at it it yeah. seems grossly insufficient well there was there was um, something else you were you were talking about too and that was directly related to work that you were doing because there was there was a there's a power plant yeah so uh over in marion um this was just one that, that comes to mind. So um, one of the programs that Elevate administers is the Illinois Solar for All program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only area in Southern Illinois, actually, that has official environmental justice community designation with the EPA is this, like, three-city block-ish area over in the middle of Marion, mm-hmm. which is right next to the uh, Southern Illinois Power Cooperatives plant. Um, and they got that. And this is actually a really interesting little parallel between what happened with the Coppers plant what happened with this plant right mm-hmm. i don't mean to go off on too much no dude tangent, no you, you i believe you can you can keep all the things strung together i i trust you right, ability right. to navigate this conversation no worries so over in marion <laughs> a demographically whiter area they were able to get environmental justice designation official ej designation mm-hmm. with the epa mm-hmm. right and they're able to do this and it was a good reason why they were able to get it because the southern illinois power cooperatives plant emits all kinds of carcinogenic mm-hmm. uh substances uh we're talking like so2 particles little bits of coal that are just maybe one or two nanometers long they get breathed in and uh, i read one study it was a couple years old, but they estimated it's something like 16 cancer deaths a year can mm-hmm. be attributed to this plant, and mm-hmm. that's still, like, going on. But uh, they were able to get EJ designation for that. Here in Carbondale, the area around the Coppers plant still doesn't have actual environmental justice community designation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and really, the only difference is, uh, you know, one area is wider, one area is blacker. Yeah. Right, and that's really it. That's like the only substantial difference. So what? Um, so I mean, is there is there still is this an ongoing thing that you can get a designation to occur? Like, yeah. So uh, in Illinois, there's a couple ways you can go about getting a designation. Uh, one way is you can contact the EPA. It's kind of a harebrained bureaucratic process. Mm-hmm. You fill out a form, and that's that. Another way is to go through a program that requires you to get EJ designation, mm-hmm. like Elevate's program, and you can self-designate. Uh, in both cases, they use a, a handful of metrics. Um, they use the pollution factor metric, so they actually look at how much pollution is around. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of Marion, I think the formal on-paper reason why they were able to get their designation was because of a higher level of SO2 in the air mm-hmm. relative to Carbondale, which only had stuff in the soil and water <laughs> uh yeah because that's, that's so much better yeah. um for some reason the metric does i believe weigh uh air pollution heavier I, mm-hmm. I don't know why but it does um but it looks at the pollution looks at how much you actually have going on they have another metric that looks at uh indexes for vulnerable populations so they look at stuff like obesity rates asthma rates birth weights are a huge factor in that application mm-hmm. health things public health data and then finally, the least weighted one is socioeconomic and demographic features of the community. Mm-hmm. Probably should be higher up, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, that also goes into it, and that's a factor that goes into uh, getting the designation. And you can fill out, so for example, if you wanted to get uh, participation in ILSFA, right? 
you would designate well, whatever area of the city you wanted to get the solar thing in, right, that you want to be an EJ community. You would go through, do a study, evaluate yourself on these metrics. It would be evaluated by someone from the EPA, and they'd stamp you yay or nay, mm -hmm. right? Um, but, yeah, so that, that's kind of what the process goes through and kind of what the metrics are for it. Um, so that, that's how that kind of, like, is ongoing. And, yeah, it is ongoing, kind of circling full circle back. Yeah. Uh, I know you said you trusted me to to keep it all strung yeah, no, together. Yeah, I, feel, I, I feel like I went all over the place. Uh, I, I tell you, I tell but. you what's what's most impressive. You know, beyond beyond your ability to kind of wield uh, the issues at hand, uh, you know, and, and actually uh, apply uh, you know needed work to it. Uh, but like, it, it's very clear that like you're just a very good learner. Right, like your ability to absorb and understand, and then you know regurgitate and apply information is like very on point. <laughs> oh, thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's just nice it's a, it's a treat whenever you get to talk to somebody who like really has all of that together and like is very fresh, right? So if this was ten years from now or twenty years from now, and you were starting to see kind of the the social uh you know strains of your work when i say social i mean like the 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 interpersonal barriers to success that exist mm. regardless of how good someone is at any particular thing right the the reality is we work within the social network that we have to mm. navigate and sometimes just by virtue of the people that we have to butt up against there are there are barriers to to success yes. uh and achievements um but like the difference between you know you you 20 years from now who has a bunch more knowledge because you've absorbed it up but have like seen some stuff right. <laughs> right versus the you now that's absorbed a good amount of knowledge thus far for where you're at but still has like the bright starry eyed like energy of somebody who's been doing it a couple years and hasn't had to like smash your head against as many brick walls yet as you're going to get to throughout the course of your, what I determine will be probably a illustrious career. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I, I just, the, your right place, right time. I appreciate the opportunity to capture you uh, oh, at, at this moment in, in this particular set of energy. And I hope this is something you'll be able to look back on uh, years from now and be like, you know, whenever you feel like you need to re reassess, and, and seek out uh, this energy that you may feel like you miss at some point in time later on in life. Because it'll happen. Nobody tells you you're 23 now. Nobody tells you how much 27 sucks. <laughs> like, like, dude, like I'm, I'm telling you, I just, I just had this conversation uh, with, with another good friend of mine who I had on the podcast. And she, uh, you know, we, we were just talking through. She's just a little bit younger than I am. We were talking through, yeah. um, you know, just that, just that gray area from 25 to 30 where you're just like, what? <laughs> um and so yeah man it's yeah i just i'm i'm fanboying out or yeah i'm oh, fanboying out right now uh <laughs> over over the person that i've that i've met today and i'm excited to to watch to watch grow over time it's just it's neat it's thanks neat. man anyway, you're, you're gonna make me I, I, I keep, going, like, keep going off on on this on this stuff the um <laughs> so elevates work expanding into downstate is that part of the mandate from the state that it has to touch statewide to to make this happen is this part of like legislation and policy in place that drives what you guys are doing uh in part but i think in larger part uh it came about from a realization from some of my colleagues who were around a little before me that um you know the organization needed to 
take its resources to where, well, it, it was needed, mm-hmm. right? And especially when we talk about solar in particular, but not just solar, you know, energy efficiency promotion programs, right? We, we do some of that too, where we talk about like different pricing options people can have to pay mm-hmm. for the power and, you know, not like alternative supplier stuff because that's a scam, um, uh-huh. but like, uh, you know, different options like Amron has. And what stuff what like is, that. okay, so what is alter, what is the, some of the scam stuff out there in the, in the solar world? Because I, that's, I think that's a worthwhile conversation to have and differentiate of if you're fully aware of the things that aren't <laughs> cooth. <laughs> so yeah, um, not even just strictly limited to solar, but you know, uh, so in the, in Illinois, the way utilities are regulated, you know, there's a distinction between the transmission business and the generation business, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, in the generation sphere, you have people who sometimes aren't the best actors who try to charge people too much, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, In the transmission sphere, you know, you have just like Amron, uh, that just, <laughs> who I owns guess. it all <laughs> right yeah and that that's actually a, a thing that um so you know I, I can't take like an official stance on it you know because you work for a nonprofit and there's politics I, involved i work for a nonprofit and there's politics involved but uh <laughs> one thing i will say is there are currently like two bills before the illinois house floor right now one is the clean energy jobs act mm-hmm. and one is a bill that amron proposed and a little piece of companion legislation that's in the senate as well that would allow them to move from transmission to also start owning all of the generation in mm-hmm. solar. So they would own everything. <laughs> nah. So not not just transmission, <laughs> yeah. but generation too. Well, and, and, um, the, and the whole idea for, for solar, right, is decentralization yes. of the generation of power. You put the power closer to where the people who need it are. Yeah, and that, that's so that's distributed generation. And what distributed generation does is it lowers costs, it addresses a very sweeping problem down here, which is energy insecurity, which is basically people cannot meet their bills mm-hmm. at the end of the month uh, because for various economic reasons, mm-hmm. you know, there's downward pressure on wages. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People are still, you know, recovering from that. You know, the economy doesn't just snap back and go, oh, OK, we've reached vaccination. I guess the economy's normal again. Like, yeah. it's not how it works. Um so we, uh, and it's also, it's been a problem well before that because, you know, poverty is rampant in yeah. our community. Um, but yeah, so uh, distributed generation helps to drive down costs the long term, make energy more affordable, and also make it cleaner because um, distributed grids are more amenable to things like solar, which is a lot better than something like coal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you're you're right. That's that's one of the like uh, gists of like solar and you know just in general is to distribute it to make it less centralized. Uh, and Amron's bill would actually do. They they, I love how like people use like euphemisms in mm-hmm. legislation, right? They talk about utility grade solar, mm-hmm. and they talk about like it's this great thing. But it would basically be putting these huge central location plants hundreds of miles away from the end user Mm -hmm. and inefficiently transmitting out the power from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's another thing, like um, those utility-grade solar things are often grossly less efficient and more expensive than, like, just rooftop solar. I think they're a national security threat. And I don't just mean them. I think think that centralized energy production is a national security threat. I would agree. That's actually a – there's a line of scholarship on that, uh, energy security, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean – at a very superficial level, it makes sense. If you have all your power production in one spot, mm-hmm. 
one easily explodable spot. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're right. That can be a threat. And it's not even just a national security threat. Uh, it's a reliability threat. Mm -hmm. um, so like Ameren's bill would allow them, it actually allows them, because they know that having this centralized utility-grade solar would mm -hmm. be grossly inefficient, it allows them to fail to meet their metrics for I think it's up to up to four days a year with no penalty. And these are simply the technical components of the bill that we're discussing right now. This is just the yeah, technical components <laughs> of the bill. Yeah, ser seriously. Like yeah. like that and that's part of my part of my job too, right? You know, I, I educate people about stuff going on in the policy world. Were you ever um, interested in like the the policy component of this leading into this? I mean, did part of the philosophy and economics background like was that just you were like, "Ooh, policy. Yeah, this is a good fit." component of it or like have you kind of warmed up to policy as you've come along uh I've, I've been into policy kind of in general for like a while great um yeah yeah definitely um <laughs> there you go that's the answer i was looking for <laughs> yeah um and then th i found this job i actually found this job it was it was kind of on a whim so i had graduated in 2019 and i had i'd done like some work some like just kind of general class work stuff just to kind of kill time mm -hmm. I, Worked as an RA at the school for a little bit, yeah. right, for a couple months. And then I was like, ah, you know, this is not paying great. You know, I have rent and stuff. <laughs> uh, right before the pandemic, I went and worked at uh, ASIN for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just as a job, it was there. Yeah. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, laid off, right, because yeah. that happened, right? And I'm just kind of clicking around Indeed, and I just, like, look in. I'm like, policy jobs, <laughs> right? Because I was like, yeah. why not, right? I'll just apply. And then I found this job, and it's like, strong interest in public policy and social justice issues. I'm like, okay, I'll apply. <laughs> I yeah. like how you knew the voice of the guy who wrote that wrote it in. <laughs> right, just like, <laughs> strong interest in social... Like, social that Fred, and he's not bad, but I knew that's what he sounded like when he wrote that ad. No. <laughs> right, right. Like, actually, I don't know who wrote the ad, like... It could have been anybody, but uh, but <laughs> is there actually a guy named Fred though? Did I somehow get that right? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. I don't. That's, I don't know. I actually that was a joke. Know. That was a joke. Don't 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 bear on that too too heavily. Um, I, I could like look it up. Like <laughs> there there is no Fred at Elevate. Fred is a made no. up guy. He doesn't exist. Now I've started the rumor of Fred. It's all it's all downhill from here. Yeah, it's it's like, just like electric there Larrys. There is no Larry. Like, <laughs> There is no Larry at Electric Larry's. There's only electricity. I Done. think there is a Larry though. Like that's the. Oh, at no, not at Electric Larry's. Not oh, not electric. Oh, you're Larry's. saying at Elevate. Oh yeah, 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 I thought we were ah! still <laughs> Elevate Larry's. We've, electric got, we've, Larry's. Come, we've come full circle. Where <laughs> where the bit has now become too real. We like <laughs> broke through the fourth wall, and somehow that was on the other side of the first wall. It was a circle the whole time. What, what, what is that? What is that? Uh, Non-Euclidean geometry, right? Like, <laughs> you're using words that are bigger than my brain, man. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I, there's a there's a whole meme page for that. Like, it's like abstract geometry memes, and it's just weird pictures that like throw your brain through a loop. I just watch them. I'm just like, man, who like had time to draw this? This is awesome. Like, dude, I that's that is always a question that I ask myself when I see just like high quality content online i'm like how did somebody have all of the time to put into this like, I, like like somebody's hobby is spending 20 hours making a really high quality piece of media to just show to the internet it's, it's like uh you know the people who build stuff in minecraft you know like yeah it's, it's hours and hours 
But yeah, what what were we talking about? Does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it matters that much or not. Right. Um, all right, we you know we're 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 kind of bouncing in in some in some different places. So I'm gonna try and get away from. Um, get away from from uh, what? Um, oh, come on, Nathan. Sorry, I'm hearing my phone buzz, and so I'm losing concentration as I'm trying to steer the conversation. Um, is there anything more on on that bill that you want to wrap up on before I like touch back on onto other things? Um, not nothing really. Um, just that it's it's important for people to, like know like you know what kind of legislation is is happening. Yeah, and you know that and it has like very serious impacts for people and for you know social issues like envi- or, uh, energy and security, mm-hmm. right? You know, because this bill would, like, uh, it would hike up people's rates. It would allow them to do that for a fixed period of time that's, like, a couple decades, <laughs> right? Yeah. Of just kind of unlimited rate hikes. Uh, it would continue what's called formula rate making, which allows them to make as many capital investments any way they want. There's actually a really interesting case. Uh, a couple years ago, they were up in, uh, Amher was up in, like, central Illinois, and they were doing some investments in the grid, and they were building power lines. And so the way formula rate making works is the more they invest, the more they get back, mm-hmm. right? So they have an incentive to raise your bill to finance a bunch of kind of pointless investments. Mm-hmm. So they built, instead of building the power lines in a straight line, they built them in this like zigzag pattern just to take up more surface area and to make it more materials and more cost. Um, and their bill would cement what's a nice euphemism, formula rate making, mm-hmm. uh, and it would, it would just submit it. It would codify it into Illinois' energy legislation, uh, which doesn't have a lot of codification. It's kind of just a patchwork of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, it would kind of codify that, for, like set it in stone, yeah. which has long-term implications. So, so I've just, so I've looked at CJA following FIJA as just a given, mm-hmm. right? So like I, you know, I get, I get emails from a couple different sources on action items for CJA and, and whatever else. And I can't, I got Zachary something or other last name starts with a D just one, of, you know, one it. of hundreds of people with all sorts of different organizations. I couldn't even tell you how I got on this email list. I can just tell you that it's there <laughs> now. And so I, I read them when they come through. Right. And I'm just like, ah, action items on CJA. Like that's just a given it's Illinois. We're going to push through CJA. We already dropped through Fiji. That was a, that was a really good running start at what we need to deliver on as a state for renewable energy. Like why even worry about it? But like, I'd never, I, 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 I was not well informed enough to understand the, uh, you know, competing interests, uh, Ooh, you know, so and, big. and balance of, of policy that, you know, whereas Fiji itself, I don't know if there was a, if there was a challenging piece of legislation to, to that at the time. Um, but you know, with that just going through, assume CJA goes through, but understand that CJA now, you know, has essentially competing legislation that needs to be understood and, and balanced out of the conversation, uh, to ensure that, that, um, that the right legislation is, is pushed through. And it's really important in my opinion to do that kind of, uh, you know, just let people know because, you know, the people, us, we don't have the resources on our side. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ameren has, at this point, already formed a proxy group mm-hmm. called Downstate Energy and has been pouring, I think it's like $12,000 a day. They've spent like $60,000 so far in Facebook ads mm-hmm. to promote their uh, their bill just on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of dark money, a lot of regulatory capture going on. Uh, I think it was 
I can't remember the economist's name. I think it was George Stigler wrote the uh, the economic theory of regulation, where he talks about how the regulatory process, whenever you try to regulate some kind of large, powerful business interest with a lot of capital mm-hmm. and hence a lot of clout politically, they will try to capture that and push the regulation towards their interests. And it's really interesting because before they came up with this bill, before they lobbied for it and had senators come up with this bill yeah. um, or House representatives, they were very kind of opposed to any kind of renewable energy, mm-hmm. right? Their preference would be to have outdated coal plants that always shut down because yeah. when it shuts down a formula rate-making structure, they're able to pass on the cost back to the consumer and basically claim more money for mm-hmm. the obsolescence of it because it increases their rate base, right? They were wanting to keep this old kind of structure, right? But when it became apparent through CJA and through just kind of as we were talking about just this kind of progression of things, right, that solar and renewables were going to be in the picture, they tried to capture the process and push it in their interest. Good to know. (laughs) Good to know. Man, I'm going to pick your brain so much more now that I know you exist in my world. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm just, I I mean, it just really, it just really is, is cool um, to, you, you are, you are, you are bringing to, to the table uh, a very, uh, a very plain uh, explanation of, of what's occurring, right? Because one, one of the other difficult uh, components of, of addressing uh, these policy shifts and the interests that participate in them yes. uh, in the times that, that we live is having the, the what are essentially community translators to, to mm. bring that in, right? And that's, you know, a part of what your work is through this nonprofit. <laughs> that, that's exactly what Elevate is, is all about. Yeah. You know, fostering these conversations around policy, around renewable energy, environmental justice, sustainability, uh, and just kind of you know empowering communities to take this kind of stuff and put it in their interest instead of the interest of large utilities with a mm-hmm. lot of capital and power. Why'd you get married so young? Because uh, I love my wife. That's uh-huh. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, How'd you yeah. guys meet? Uh, so we actually met on campus. Um, uh, I, I won't go into the specifics of what I was doing. I dropped my but... books, and she was rollerblading by, and somebody dropped a slushie. I don't know. Well, I actually, I was inviting her to a political rally. Good. And, Very good. Um, she said no because <laughs> she, worked, she worked for the uh, DE, and she thought I was trying to get coverage. Uh-huh. Right. So I was like, I came back again, and I invited her to another political rally. Mm-hmm. And then we just started talking about you know politics and just life. Uh, and yeah, just fell in love, uh, got engaged a year after that, was engaged for a year, then got married. That You know what? That's, that's a reasonable timeline that you just presented for courtship. Oh, I thanks. think, you know, a year dating, a year engaged. If you can make it through those two steps towards marriage, hey, whatever, whatever adult age you may be, go for it, my exactly yeah especially the engagement like i think that's like the critical one right like set a year yeah if you if you make a year you're good did you guys get married before the pandemic uh during uh we got we got married in august (laughs) what was it like Uh, getting married during the pandemic uh there were not many tables (laughs) (laughs) and we had to get like a uh a big venue yeah but uh but yeah yeah it, it was it was a nice ceremony uh my dad actually uh facilitated um yeah, or facilitated, officiated, whatever the word is. 
Is your um, dad a pastor? Yeah. yeah ah, there you go. So, now it's uh, coming together. Yeah. David Higgs the third, son of pastor, Reverend <laughs> David <laughs> Higgs the second. I've tried to keep my cursing, if anything, to a minimal on this one. So don't, don't worry. I, <laughs> I, I, I called the EPA's efforts half-assed at one point. So you're, <laughs> you're good. Um, That's phenomenal. Um, well, okay, cool. Well, the get get married's one thing, but now you got me way more interested in being a preacher's kid, because that's oh, all. It, man, it's a, it, a very good friend of mine, Michael. Uh, he uh, he is the son of a preacher, and he himself is a preacher. He actually went to Vanderbilt and nice, is a chaplain nice. now in in Minnesota at a large hospital network and, and whatever else. Um, and it's it is it is truly inspiring to see what this generation of pastoral children have gravitated towards in terms of like what they deem to be uh, the arc of justice and, you know, God's will and like what it is to, you know, walk in the path of Jesus, right? Like these are things that are, that are, that this generation of pastoral children have a very keen sense for what these Mm. things are. Both of you guys are the embodiment of that. And I appreciate that. Thanks. I Um, I appreciate it. But what was it like growing up just kind of being, being, I mean, were you born and raised in the church and dad's always been a pastor your entire life? Or was it like partway through your life? He, he became a pastor. Uh, So he's been a pastor my entire life. Mm. Um, So I was brought up in the church um, around the time of like 13, I, uh, rejected the faith for a bit. Nice. Nice. Uh, Prodigal yeah. son, you have returned. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's actually, it's actually really, cause you bring up the relationship between like faith and social justice yeah. and stuff. And, uh, it's actually really interesting cause when I was 13, I became an atheist and read Ayn Rand and went completely that way. <laughs> Man, some, here's the deal. It's, if sometimes you just got to know what you need to not know. Exactly, and you know it's 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 really it was it was a weird arc, and but you know I like completely the opposite of someone who would be interested in anything like what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, but then I returned to the faith uh, shortly before coming to college, um, and immediately, oh, not immediately, but you know within a few months, that's when I kind of got more into like this like social justice thing. So I had that experience in Haiti kind of formative kind of had like economics on the brain went to the wrong kind of economics mm-hmm. found the right kind of economics <laughs> and uh then went to college but well, and uh, i i also appreciate right there there are there are plenty of folks that through the act of benevolence seek uh you know bestowed grace as opposed to uh you know an actual like applied uh you know grace like the the help Mm-hmm. not the not the praise right the actual the actual um you know concern for for a fellow for a fellow man so the you know not every person that you would have a conversation with it's like oh well, i went to haiti and i helped the children it's like there are there are people that are like that and there are things that are like yeah. that but this this feels much more like sincere yeah and it was it was a it was a long process you know like uh because I went to Haiti, the humanitarian work was through a church thing, but in Haiti, that was actually when I became an atheist, mm-hmm. <laughs> was in Haiti, because yeah. I saw all this like devastation yeah. and poverty, and I saw some, some stuff, um, some really dark stuff, yeah. um, 
totally rejected everything, kind of went like through this long process of like reconstructing my entire worldview, mm -hmm. um, went a very wrong way, kind of came full circle, yeah. go in what I think is a better way, uh, and then kind of get more interested in like social justice and that kind of stuff. Cool. Uh, do you do you feel like, uh, you know, having having a father being a being a preacher and and you know watching kind of the performative aspect of of uh, you know the 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 religious component, yes, but like the actual working component of the performative aspect uh, of religion kind of helped to steer you into uh, activity where you feel like part of what you can do is like take a stand and be a voice and like get out there and Absolutely. out front of an issue. Yeah. So, um, when, so when I, when I converted or reconverted, whatever you want to call it, came back. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. When he came back, when I came, when, when I came back, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, I was always, I kept rereading the book of James over and over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's that whole bit about how, you know, faith without works, it ain't, it ain't, it's dead. Yeah. Right. It's not actual faith. Um, if you don't work it out, if it's just kind of there as like in the background, this abstract, completely transcendent kind of guy in the clouds, God kind of view, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, that, that, that ain't it. Yeah. That, that's just not faith. It's working on the ground and, you know, religion that is pure and undefiled is this to, you know, attend to the widow in their time of distress and, you know, you know, being with the poor, tarrying with the poor and working with the poor. And, you mm -hmm. know, that, you know, that's what the faith is. So, like, I was kind of like, you know, if I'm, I'm going to believe this, kind of have to do it. And it's like, well, what do you do? you help people, <laughs> you know, and then when you have that mindset and you take it and you look at, you know, a white supremacist society with gross inequality across the world and imperialism and neocolonialism, you know, the, the answer of what working out your faith is becomes really apparent. Uh, you know, it's addressing that. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad you've spent time in the American Institute of Randall Augsburg's house. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's a fit, man. It's a fit. Uh, it's just, uh, I gotta, I gotta have Randy. I gotta have Randy on the show. I hadn't, I hadn't yet thought about Randy as a guest, but Randy's going to be a phenomenal guest. It's going to be, it would be a great, great guest. Randy's just yeah. good, good people. I, uh, you know, it's, uh, when <laughs> it, he's just fun to engage with, yes. uh, you know, and, and, and he, and he gets it just as well. Right. And he'll communicate at any one person's level with, with them in, in time. I don't know what he's like as a professor, but then again, neither do you. So we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I, I never had him as a professor. I just went over to his house. So I had a buddy of mine who did have him as a professor. Uh -huh. And, uh, this was before the American Institute for philosophy, yeah. you know, kind of like coalesced. Mm -hmm. And before that, you know, Dr. Ogger would just have these reading groups at his house. And I would go over with a friend of mine who was a grad student, and I would just sit there and I would, I would kind of do the readings. And you know, uh, I, I was a big Kant guy in undergrad. He did a reading on Kant's third critique. He talked about like aesthetics and stuff. Completely blew my mind. Like just his like reading of it. Like you know, Kant's kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Not with Doctor Audrey. He makes him <laughs> really fun. Have uh, you always been a reader too? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, I was I was a really bookish kid. Mm -hmm. um, growing up um like really bookish like i just would kind of sit around and read um i really got into philosophy when i was going through that whole like atheist edgy stage mm -hmm. you know and there's good atheism right there's intellectually robust atheism 
And then there's like crappy Ayn Rand atheism. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at least during the time in which I was an atheist, I was able to kind of work my way up a little bit Mm because I read Ayn Rand. I was like, and then I read Marx and I was like, better. Then I read like Foucault and I was like, okay, now we're talking. Then I converted and then I'm like, oh crap. And then I went to college and I'm like, so, okay. So I'm not, I'm not a philosophical uh, literature uh, consumer myself. But uh, from what I understand, Ayn Rand and Marx are, are not on the same side of the political spectrum, correct? No, and that's what I mean when I, when I say like it was, it was this process of getting to like, you know, kind of a, a worldview where social justice is like center, which uh-huh. ultimately led to me like, you know, taking a job at Elevate and trying to work on these environmental issues. But, but yeah, like, like Ayn Rand is kind of this really simplistic libertarian right wing stuff. You know, there's libertarianism is not necessarily right wing. You know, there are the variants of it. But, uh, I was waiting for you to say it's not necessarily simplistic, and then you just blew past that one. Oh, That's no, that. no, it is. It, it's not necessarily simplistic. Like, like there, there's some great, great, like, there's great stuff uh, yeah. in, in that tradition. Uh, I was actually, you're not going to believe it, but I, I, I was, like, I doing some notes, uh, like, reviewing kind of, like, my notes to, like, prepare to, like, come here, mm-hmm. and I, I Googled how to pronounce uh, Proudhon. Right, I'm like, how to pronounce Prudhon? Because I, I was thinking, I'm like, I could see the conversation going to Prudhon at some point. Because you know, I've watched some of your stuff, and I, I kind of like was like, okay, I could see the conversation going. To but uh, <laughs> what is Prudhon? Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, sorry. Prudhon, man, so I'm, yeah, I'm, he was I'm, he's I'm like the look. founder of like that kind of left libertarian like idea. So he was that uh, he was an 18th century political economist, mm-hmm. and uh, him and Marx were kind of the originators of you know this kind of specific brand of you know, like European socialism, and Pradhan was the first anarchist. Marx was the first not anarchist guy uh-huh. around that time. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, Pradhan represented like that kind of camp, this really anti-authoritarian camp. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I promised my wife I wouldn't talk too much about uh, like socialism. But Hey, lucky for you, that's the end of the podcast. Oh, uh, Episode 54, David Higgs the third gentleman who has made his way to Carbondale from Harrisburg and uh, is you know, part of our community here. Uh, an interesting person, living an interesting life, tied all together in this little place we called home. And uh, yeah, have a good one, folks, whatever that one may be. <laughs>